The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great joy to be with you this morning, and uh, as we're Starting to celebrate Catholic Schools Week, just want to thank our students who did such a great job with the readings, and, um, and thank all of you for supporting our Catholic school here at St. Wenceslas, which does great work with our young people and, and have really done an outstanding job of continuing to provide sacraments and faith formation in the midst of, of the lockdown that we've been living in. And uh, it was one of the things I was most impressed with when, when I got here was just the dedication that Father Jarofsky and Mike Weiss have to, to bringing our Lord to our young people. In the Gospel reading today, our Lord <clears throat> has this encounter with this man with an unclean spirit. And... And it was really striking to me, like the, the language of the unclean spirit, because like as, as this demon encounters our Lord, he receives him as a threat. What have you come here for? What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Because demons really live in isolation and, and they're really condemned to isolation. Like when, when the angels fell, it was because they refused to serve God. Another way of phrasing that would be they refused to trust God. They refused to entrust themselves or live in communion with God. And so they're doomed to live this kind of isolation. And when we live in isolation, every other person, every opportunity for community becomes a threat. And that kind of language exists also in our culture when when we have this individualistic culture where we receive other people as a threat. Jean-Paul Sartre was a French existentialist philosopher, and and when he writes on, 
on what it means to be a human person. And he writes on relationship, but he writes that the other person robs me of my identity. The other person robs me of my identity. When I encounter somebody who's different from me, I encounter them as if they've come to take something away from me. And, and as I reflect on like, what goes on in our culture, and it goes on in our church as well, like when our culture really is in this place where when we encounter somebody with different thoughts, we see them as a threat, and then that division gets driven into the culture. Somebody with a different political view, somebody with different like liturgical preference, somebody with a different idea about how we should be handling the coronavirus, like they become a threat to, we respond to them as if they're a threat. The opposite of that, the Christian worldview and the Catholic view of the human person says that the other person reveals to me who I am. That the other person reveals to me who I am. That it's in relationship with another person that I come into my identity. That the other person forces me to sort of transcend myself and think back about myself and, and, and engage who I am. And as Catholic Christians, it's that encounter with this person, Jesus, that reveals to us who we are. And that can never be taken from us. Right? It can never be taken from us. And in fact, when Jesus encounters people in the Gospels, what we hear is what we hear him say, I know who you are. And it's not in a threatening way, it's in an inviting way, in a way that says, I know who you really are. When he encounters the woman caught in adultery and and all of her shame, maybe all of the lies that she has in her head about who she is and where her value is found, and her shame is driving her to look down like shame drives all of us to look down, our Lord bends down to write in the sand. He places his look of love within her gaze of shame. As if to say to her, I know who you really are. Or the Samaritan woman at the well who goes and encounters our Lord. And our Lord confronts directly who she is. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. No, you have five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Go get your husband. I know who you are. And I'm inviting you to be something more. I'm inviting you to have this living water and you'll never thirst again. And then she goes and proclaims that gospel saying to everyone, come and let me, come and see somebody who told me everything I've done, somebody who knows who I am. And we're drawn into communion because we're created for communion. And the unity that we have as a church is a unity that's found because each and every one of us 
knows who we are in Christ. And when Christ enters into our life, the voice of that demon is driven out of our hearts and and we stop approaching things from a place of fear. And we approach things from a place of love and a desire to know and to be known by one another. And it's a lesson that's very fundamental. It's something that St. Paul talks about all the time. In Christ, there is no slave or free, Jew or Greek, etc., etc. Because each person, no matter where they come from, has found their true identity in our Lord. And each time we come and receive him in the Eucharist, he's there to reveal to us who we are. And we move out of isolation and fear and division, and we move towards union and love and communion. And that's how people know the church. They're meant to know the church because of the way we love one another. And it's what our world is in such desperate need of. And it's what individual people within our world are in such desperate need of. And again, in this context of Catholic Schools Week, it's what stirs my own gratitude in my heart for the gift of what Catholic schools have done in my own life. And I didn't go to Catholic schools. I went to a public school and went to CCD. And I had some friends who went to Catholic schools, but that was kind of mysterious. And, uh, and I lived in a place where probably the Catholic schools were really expensive. And, um, and, but I came to Nebraska as a seminarian in 1999. And um, in 2001, my younger brother, Kevin, who I'm really close with, and I talk about him a lot, he's my brother in Des Moines. Um, he was about 15 years old at the time. And, uh, and he had a 0.3 grade point average at the time and was getting into a lot of trouble. And I remember calling home on Mother's Day and I'm talking to my mom on Mother's Day and, and she says something like, I don't know what I'm going to do with your brother. And, and he had gotten in some trouble that weekend with the law. And, uh, and I said, hang on, let me make a phone call. And I called Father Mattia at the Newman Center and he gave me permission to let my brother come and live with me for the summer. And so, so I go home and I go to juvenile court and have him court ordered into my custody for the summer. And, uh, and he was super happy about that, you can imagine. So I go home and he was like out with his friends and he gets in the car and I'm making him listen to like Tolkien books on the way and you know, trying to expose him to like culture and virtue and things like that. And, and he moves into the house I lived in that summer, which was the house that's right by the old Planned Parenthood on 37th and South in Lincoln. And so he lived with myself and another seminarian and Father Jarofsky, actually, when he was a seminarian, we all lived together in this house. And, and my brother worked at the retreat house for the summer and he did community service at the Newman Center. And he was just exposed to all of this Catholic community. And through the course of the summer, he started to ask a lot of questions and then he wanted to get confirmed. And so he worked with somebody at the Newman Center and he got confirmed at the end of the summer. And, um, 
And then this question came up of, okay, what are we going to do with him? And because, like, is he going to go back home? Is he going to stay here? And, and, uh, and I went on a retreat, and Kevin went to stay with some friends for the weekend. And after the retreat, he says to me, okay, I made my decision. I'm going back home. My heart kind of sinks because I don't really trust this is going to work out. But in trying to surrender everything to our Lord and the Blessed Mother, I said, okay, well, let's pray the rosary right now and thank the Blessed Mother for helping you decide. Right? Because I don't know, maybe like he knows more than I know. And so we do that. And there was a family that I thought he should live with, and I'd actually talked to them about it, and they were praying about it. And that night we had dinner together at a, at a Sarah Club function. And, um, and then after the dinner, my brother goes off with now Father Ben Holdren and some others. And, and I was talking to this couple, and they said, we really want to help your brother. And I'm like, ah, he decided to go home. So I get home late that night, and my brother's out back hanging out with Father Holdren and Father Jarofsky when they were seminarians, and they were just Lee and Ben. And uh, at about, like, one in the morning, he's like, I think I'm going to stay here. And, uh, and so we go over to that family's house, and, and he tells his story, and his story kind of sounds like this at the time, as I'm listening to it, and I just got really heartbroken. And he was like, so uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven. I started doing drugs and alcohol when I was 12. And then Sean moved me to Nebraska. Like that was his story. And this family just said, well, do you want to see your room? And they took him and showed him where his room was. And we get in the car and, uh, and he says to me, so do you think they like me? Like they're gonna let you live in their house. But that's that voice of fear, right? That's that voice of fear. The other person is going to take something from me. And he ended up moving in with them and the faculty at Pius, the 10th high school in Lincoln was, they were amazing with him and, and they let him enroll as a junior, even though he didn't have the credits for it, because I think they thought he wasn't going to last. And, uh, and he ended up doing a summer school between his junior and senior year and graduating on time. And then that same guidance counselor at Pius, who I'm always going to be grateful to, helped him to apply to Benedictine College. And they got him like, enrolled as kind of an emancipated minor, basically, so he got more grants. And he went to Benedictine, and he met his wife and graduated and then he went to grad school at Divine Mercy University and now he's a Catholic psychologist in Des Moines, Iowa. And and none of that would have been possible without the community that he found. And uh, and it's really a gift of of what the Catholic school did for him because in a in a very real way when he got there there were there were students waiting to welcome him and, and he found a community that helped him to encounter who he really was. And it helped him to move from, have you come to destroy me, to living in communion. You know, and that's like really the gift that, that our schools give to young people is, is that opportunity in that community to move from 
whatever like spirit of fear or insecurity or anxiety to this place of communion and love. That's the goal. That's what we want to do. And so, like, for me, that's, that's, that's just my, where my gratitude lies for, for the work that we do. And sometimes that gets lost in, in the other things that we think about. But it really is the heart of our mission as a church. And it's to bring our Lord into people's lives in a way that changes them and reveals to them who they really are, that they really are his beloved sons and daughters. And our entire parish, our entire diocese, should be really proud of that and take ownership of that because that's it's what we're doing to make a difference in the world and it's what we're doing to build up the image of God in the world to be a light that shines in the darkness of our culture. And so today, let us pray that our Lord does in fact enter into our hearts in a more profound way, that that we come to know who we are in him in a more profound way, that he banish all spirits of fear, division, isolation, and that we truly do become his image and his face in the world. That we become a beacon of hope in a culture that needs, that's in such need of our Lord's love and mercy, hope and peace.